0: Episode 52, Heather Zumarraga, financial news commentator and author of the book, The Man's Guide to Corporate Culture.
1: It, It was hard for me to admit that, was it a mistake or a learning experience?
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is My Favorite Mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links, and a chance to enter to win a signed copy of Heather's book, go to markgraven.com slash mistake52. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And now, on with the show. Well, hi, welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graven. Our guest today is Heather Zumaraga. You may recognize her from uh, CNBC, Fox News, Fox Business News, other channels. Um, She is a work environment advisor, so we're going to have a chance to talk about um, lessons and advice that she has. Um, she's the president of Zuma Global LLC, and she's author of a book that was released in January called The Man's Guide to Corporate Culture. So before I tell you a little bit more about Heather, um, thank you for being here. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm good. It's good to be here.
0: Oh, well, great. Well, I, there's uh, I think it's a very interesting topic, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about the book. Um, Heather, um, as part of her background, she's worked in um, finance. Um, she was the only woman out of about uh, over, over uh, only woman of over a hundred salespeople at AIG, and despite that, um, she became the number one salesperson. And I don't know; you probably say your your bio says it's not despite of being a woman. It's it's despite, uh, or was that a disadvantage yeah. in that environment? No, no,
1: I I think it actually it helped. I don't think it hurt me. Yeah.
0: All right. Well she's worked with thousands of financial advisors across the country and that is has been a very male dominated industry so if anyone knows what and how men are thinking in the workplace um, it's Heather so um, we'll have a chance to there there are I think uh, many many interesting topics from the book that we'll touch on and I don't know if your favorite mistake story is um, related to this but Heather you know, looking at your career and the different things you've done what is your favorite mistake <sighs>
1: Well, when you have initially asked me that question, um, it, it was hard for me to admit that was it a mistake or a learning experience? Because based on your experience and all of these professional mistakes that you hear from, I'm sure you hear more often than not that these may have been looked at as mistakes at the time. But we've all learned from them. And I think um, mine would be that I had to be number one in sales. I was highly competitive, like you said, in a male-dominated work environment, Um, where now, as I've gotten older, I realize maybe that's not the most important thing in
0: life. So being number one as opposed to being one of the top, or I imagine in an environment like that, you had certain goals that you had to hit. But t- tell us a little more of the thought process of why you were driven beyond that, of, of wanting to be number one.
1: Yeah, um, I think that at the time when I was just starting my career, and I don't think this has to do with gender, I think actually I exhibited a lot of male traits by being so, so highly competitive in the workplace. And, um, maybe also because I felt like I had something to prove being so young and being a female in the business, um, there, there was, uh, something I recently read that it, it was an article in the wall street journal about saying that the greater, um, the idea that the pursuit of economic growth is a greater social good than supporting moms who want to stay at home and raise kids. May not be accurate. And you mentioned the book, it champions how far women have come in the workplace today, but at what expense, you know, what are you giving up? And at the time in my 20s, (laughs) not much, you know, but the older you get when you have a family or you have kids, um, you're giving up a lot of other areas of your life that you're sacrificing for your career. And I don't want to say that's good or bad, right or wrong. Do I view it as a mistake, perhaps, but more as a learning experience? Because mm-hmm. I don't think I would be where I am today if I wasn't highly competitive at that time. But looking back, and now that I've changed the way I go about things, that is not my number one priority, to be number one. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I mean, and that's really what this whole podcast is about, is turning mistakes into a learning opportunity or getting something valuable out of that. Um, so thinking of what you're doing in in this phase of your career, Heather. Um, you, so it sounds like you, you're you're not driven to be, I don't know, the, the the number one commentator or I don't. How would you gauge yeah, I, that I, success I mean, or what you're driving for now?
1: You always want to be your best, right? Sure. But like mm-hmm. you said, um, you know, at what cost? I I remember Michael Jordan's The Last Dance. It was an ESPN show. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. it, but it was great. I, I did. Yeah. And he was saying. I just, I want to win at all costs. And that was what was so important to him. But at the end, he was tearing up saying, um, you know, winning has a price and leadership has a price. And he was he was crying. Um, and that was very heartfelt uh, to me. And I think to others that can identify with being so competitive that at that time, that was not a mistake. He wouldn't be where he is today if he wasn't striving to be number one. But is there a way that you can do your best without sacrificing an example for me personally was my home life or, you know, my marriage or not spending time with my daughter or my dog, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess when you're early on in your stages of a career, maybe that's not so bad because you don't have those things to lose. But then again, you're losing on maybe learning opportunities or relaxation or Uh, taking care of your body and working out or doing yoga or whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. just because you don't have a family doesn't mean that there's still a cost to having to be number one at all costs. And sometimes it makes people do things that can end up getting them in trouble, like losing their job. You do something illegal. Now, I never did any Mm -hmm. of those things, you know, winning at all costs. But or you cheat, which in sports we see that happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are not the right moral, ethical or right thing, you know, Right things to do, I guess.
0: Yeah. Or at, at a less severe example, there could be damage in in terms of workplace relationships um, in, yeah. in striving to be number one at all legal, ethical costs, yeah. as you were as you were pointing out. Um, do, do people feel stepped on or, you know, how, how competitive I've, I've not worked in this environment. You know, how competitive was that environment um, at, at AIG or in other finance Sectors where, um, like people were competing, at the point of I've got to elbow someone else aside to ascend to uh, a number one position. Very,
1: very, and I've watched um, numerous other podcasts that you've hosted with a, a lot of uh, women and men that are actually financial advisors or in the same type of industry, and. This whole structure, I don't know if it is today, but 10 years ago and as recent as like a few years ago before uh, COVID, the whole pay structure even was set up like that. So whereas let's say you're number two, you might get paid X amount, let's say five basis points less than the number one guy just because you're the first loser, you're number two. Mm. Um, So it, it stems from leadership in the top. And I mean, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the rewards of having a highly competitive structure, but then you do have, you pointed this out, maybe workplace relationships that suffer. Whereas I might've been friends with some of the guys that were at the top. I was like their little sister. I came on board and then boom, I started beating them and now they're getting paid less and they have a family Mm, to support and their compensation goes down because here comes little Heather. And you know, I, I out, pace them. I sold more than them. And so I get paid more. They get paid less. The whole structure is set up that way, where I get if you are bringing in more business, you should be compensated that way. But to what extent? Whereas if you're very close to whatever number two is doing, they structure it so he gets paid a lot less than you do. So then the two of you end up not liking each other.
0: And I think you you frame that correctly. That's a systemic Issue, you know, executives or whoever's designing the compensation structure, it's like, do they want the side effects that come with um, the the benefits or, so uh, the 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 upside, the 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 good things that come out of the system design? Does that outweigh the problems or the dysfunctions that that could pop up?
1: Yeah, um, I think today the clear answer is um, no. It does not outwe- outweigh outweigh mm-hmm. it. Um, Back then, I don't know when I when I was in it in amidst it, it it worked. Um, but uh, over the long run, actually speaking of I, I don't I'm very grateful for the opportunities I had with the company. One of the companies that was Sun America, that was owned by AIG. But to your point, recently, just um, a few months ago, they were sold. So it was like a domino effect where there was all this pressure being put on by a new boss that came in, which later led to me quitting because I just said, this is too much. I'm number one and I was still having full heavy weight load on my shoulders. And I was like, then, you know, you just eventually give up and say you can't do it for some. And for others who stayed, the end result was sales drastically declined and, um, the, the company was actually Sun America, which was a part of AIG, was sold a few months ago. But I'm very grateful th- for the opportunity that I had there, and obviously the lessons that I've I've learned.
0: Yeah, and and one other question before we talk about the lessons related to let's say gender dynamics and leadership in the workplace. You came into AIG. This was in the aftermath of the financial crisis and the AIG bailout. Is right. That, that's yes. the correct
1: timing. I was not- part of selling mortgages to people or <laughs> or insuring the mortgages to people that shouldn't have had a mortgage in the first place. I had no part of that. This was after I was selling mutual funds. So I had nothing to do with the mortgage market and the collapse of uh, AIG or the bailout in 2008. That's a good point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, 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 that's a diff- Those are different mistakes with maybe an, a, a different guest someday. Yeah. But those yeah. mistakes are more painful to talk about. So Leading up to writing the book, and again, the title of the book is The Man's Guide to Corporate Culture, thinking back to your time at AIG from the position you were in, do, did they ever do you feel like they treat, they manage you differently because you were a woman? Are there times where that maybe is appropriate? Or I think as, as a man, so I'm curious to read more of your book, I think, you know, in, in the modern business age, we said, well, we want to treat everybody equally. But right. what, I'm curious what your experience has been. Yeah. Well, what do, what does that mean? Or what should that mean from your perspective, Heather? It's
1: interesting, because a lot, many women say, you know, I want equality. I want to be treated the same. I want, and, and I get, you know, equal pay in the gender gap. I don't address that at all. And I completely mm-hmm. understand that. Um, but be careful what you wish for, which I think might be your point, because if a lot, I think, I don't want to say all women are sensitive. I'm the first to say that I'm I'm very sensitive. You know, I cry a lot. I laugh a lot. I'm just an emotional person. In general, there are, I think, biological differences that I go over. I spoke with doctors and cognitive psychologists that from birth, regardless of if you identify man, woman or whatever, without opening a can of worms, women may be more sensitive than men. So when you say I want to be treated equally, well, that might mean when they ask the men and demand them to stay overtime for 12 hours and you've got a baby at home and a bunch of household chores on your hand, well, you ask to be treated just like the men, they're not going to care or have any sympathy that you're pregnant. Or should they? If you ask for specific treatment, and I know I might get you know, some, some pushback or critique on that. But that's a truth. If you're asking for true equality, then you really can't say you want to be treated different or spoken to in a different way than men talking to other men in the workplace. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we think of, um, as we try to navigate in the workplace, not just gender, but, but race. Last month, I moderated a panel discussion where a question came up of, you know, should we as 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 black Americans, what was their view? Do they want uh, people to be, quote unquote, colorblind? And and the response from the panelists was pretty consistent of saying, well, I want you to see my color. I don't want you to treat me worse because of it. I'm not asking for better treatment, but I want you to to see and honor and respect color and race. Is there a similar dynamic, do you think, in a workplace where w- would you want um, people to be, quote unquote, gender blind or recognize gender and, and learn how to best manage in recognition? I,
1: I, I think we should recognize gender, um, but not in a way that puts one above the other um, or highlighting our differences. I think we should highlight our similarities. And one way to do that, especially in the workplace, when you're hiring people, for example, um, there's a, a famous case, Howard versus Heidi, uh, looking at a resume, a man versus a woman, the same last name, Roizen. And they gave um, the the people surveyed were given a were given a resume. The woman's name was Heidi. The exact same resume was also given to a different set of uh, surveyors, as well as mm-hmm. the same. And Howard was the man's name on the resume. Same exact resume, seen very differently. The, the respondents said that they saw Howard as a competitive person, and that was great. He was a leader in the field and very well liked. Now, the same set of credentials and having powerful, a powerful network and friends and, you know, climbing the career, the corporate career ladder. And they saw the woman Heidi as being very selfish and egotistical Mm -hmm. and nobody really liked her. Same exact resume. So I think a good idea to kind of, um, like you said, make it gender neutral is to do things like that. Um, Anonymize the, the resume Or whoever you're, well, if you're evaluating someone, you can't really cover up their name. You have to know who they are if you're giving like a performance critique or feedback. But when it comes to hiring people, cover up their name and their gender. Mm -hmm. So you're not having any unconscious bias towards your hiring decisions.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So there are so many mistakes men can and do make in workplaces. Some of those are very obvious when you think of, you know, the Me Too movement um, a lot of this happens in the media. I hope you've never been uh, mistreated um, in, in in media environments. But beyond the obvious mistakes, um, are are there more subtle mistakes that men make? Is this gray area of behavior that that's that's more questionable than obviously repulsive?
1: Absolutely, especially today. And I think it's timely as we go back to the workplace post COVID and we're all vaccinated. Um, I, I called this, you know, a new norm and the modern inclusive workplace. I mean, women have been working alongside men for a long time, but now they make up over 50% of the college educated workforce. Pre COVID, there were more women working than men. And I know we have a long ways to go in terms of gender parity and and gender equality in the workplace. But I think, you know, big strides have been made. I think that's fair to say. And now more than ever, if you're a man and you're a good guy, like you said, there are clear lines that if you cross that and you're grabbing various body parts on a woman or giving, you know, making unwanted advances, like trying to kiss her and she doesn't want to be kissed. Um, Those are clear, big no-nos. But other areas. I've had a lot of people recently ask me, Mark, like, Heather, what if I want to compliment a woman? For example, you know, you compliment a man maybe, but would you really compliment a man on his clothing choice? Maybe. Would you say, you know, hey, Mark, you look great in those suit pants. Maybe. But my advice was, if you wouldn't say it to a man, don't say it to a woman. So I broke to the end of the statement, like, a lot of people say, Heather, but I want to compliment a woman on how she looks because we're women. We do our hair. We do our makeup. I love people call it, saying I'm beautiful. My husband, I wish he'd do it more often. But my point is, don't do it in the workplace. I think mm-hmm. that's a common mistake where good men you know, like yourself or, or your viewer might think, oh, well, I'm I'm giving her a compliment. That's a nice thing to do. But if it's on her appearance and you work with her, if it's in the workplace, mm-hmm. it can get you in trouble. And And nine times out of 10, the woman probably will just say thank you. But there might be that one woman that doesn't like you or another person that overhears it. Mm-hmm. That for some reason likes to go tattletale and is the office gossip in the room goes and tells HR that you're commenting on women's appearance and boom that's it even if you don't get fired reputation ruined and you know you're yeah in trouble, red flag
0: yeah so it seems like there's um, that the, the, you might distinguish if if I were to say to a male coworker that I see at a hospital like wow that tie that's a really cool pattern that's Probably a very safe thing to say. Yeah. To say, "Hey, you, you look great in those pants." Now seems to take it in a different direction, of like, well, that's getting very. That's more about the you than it is about the clothing, and I could yeah. see where then similar things like that directed towards um, a, a, a woman would be, yeah, much more risky, or right. just, 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 just don't.
1: I mean, easy mistakes that, as a man, you might make thinking they're perfectly fine and acceptable. And maybe they should be. But in today's corporate culture, um, they may not. Uh, I, I wrote a few things uh, in the book about qu- quotes. Um, for example, if someone says, nice outfit today, the woman might hear, well, what about the other days? Or <laughs> you, look, you look very beautiful. The woman's like, is he trying to have sex with me? And then the right thing to say, I said, oh, that's nice. Is it new? And the answer was bingo. He's acknowledging my existence, which was kind of what you were alluding to using the word instead of using the word um, I, for example, uh, the, the first line of defense against accidental creeping, you remove the word I instead of saying I like your outfit, you look nice and so the woman or whoever, man, woman, doesn't think she's doing it or just for you, you know, when you say, I like that. You say, you mm-hmm. did this or you like that. And that also, I think, keeps you out of trouble.
0: Yeah, but you're right. There is that danger, if you, if you say it one day, of uh, almost sounds like a surprise. Well, you look nice today. Like, yeah. Well, what about wow, that's kind yesterday? Of, it's sort of an insult, if you're, I mean, so probably better to steer away.
1: All
0: the other days. Right. Yeah. So um, I think in your book, you touch on advice, um, you know, warnings for men about possible mistakes, things that we could or should do instead. Are there mistakes when let's say men are well-intended, they're, they're trying to be an advocate for women or people use the word ally in the workplace? Are, are there mistakes men sometimes make when they're, they're trying to be a better ally and something's well-intended, but maybe a little bit off?
1: I think I would refer back to performance reviews and critique where some men, like you said, trying to be better allies – might think they're doing someone a favor by giving them a better performance review to a make sure they don't themselves get in trouble, or they might think she's, if I give her a negative review, she's going to report me to HR for gender discrimination, or maybe run to the bathroom in tears, <laughs> which has happened before. Um, so I would say give fair performance reviews, regardless of gender. Um, in terms of better Being a better ally, a lot of recent cases in the media are about high profile men bullying or intimidating. And while most men might be okay with that or not speak up or speak out about that um, and run to the media, we're seeing more and more women going and telling their story of a boss or a manager that exhibited bullying or intimidating type of behavior. Because most men like to be blunt. And you would think there's a book, Radical Candor, which says, just say whatever you're thinking. And there's some truth to that. But there's a, a, a right way to do that. But this is more about saying it and thinking about what you're saying, thinking how it's going to be interpreted by the recipient this is very, very important in today's culture to protect yourself. So if you're going to give someone a critique, try constructive feedback. You're giving um information while being supportive. For example, if someone missed a meeting, instead of saying, you know, you you missed the meeting, where were you? I noticed you were absent from our meeting. You may have missed a lot of information. Let's get together after work today to or at two o'clock to um, find a way that it doesn't happen again and go over what you missed that way you're being supportive you're not tearing anybody down and another piece of advice I gave is something called a true sandwich where instead of something coming across as bullying or intimidating, um, if you have something negative to say, like the report was awful, the performance report or the project that they worked on, say, yeah, I like the report um, on page 12 through 16, it's missing a lot of critical critical, or crucial details. Let's add those details and then it can be much better. You're bearing the negative, it's true sandwich, in between two mm-hmm. positives. And that can also maybe help in the workplace. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, Heather, one thing you, you point out in the book, um, survey results that say 60% of male managers feel uncomfortable working one-on-one with a female colleague. Um, Why do you think that is? And what are the implications of that on on how people should behave? Is that putting female employees at a disadvantage if a man doesn't want to work or feels uncomfortable working one-on-one?
1: Well, it is. Um, Many men, specifically financial advisors that I worked with, that were my clients, and this was off the record, you know, that I, I I told stories, but anonymously that they said, I will never hire a female assistant again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but why? And and they're like, oh, because this happened or she quit or because she had a baby, became pregnant and then she didn't come back to work or um it it was that they felt like they may always get in trouble because of her clothing choices, or she wore mini skirts and high heels around the office and drawed a lot of unwanted attention. But they can't comment. So mm-hmm. it actually, this new norm has put women at a disadvantage in many different circumstances because the men instead of instead of saying, "Oh yes, let's adapt this." Um, let's adapt to these changing norms in society. More women want to work. Let's hire more women. They're saying, wait a minute, I hear about all this Me Too stuff and all these people getting in trouble for bullying and intimidation. And specifically, it's usually men versus women. Let me just not even hire a mm-hmm. woman. Um, and, and that's their safest bet. It's like a risk management decision. You're right. So in some ways it can, it can, be, it can hurt women in this case.
0: Are there mistakes that men make when hiring or, or leading women um, that that you've, oh, can you share an example? Um, I know you cover this uh, in the book.
1: Um, when they're hiring women, I would say definitely anonymizing the resume. So that's before you're face to face, you cover up the names on the resume. So it's somewhat gender neutral. Um, I would also say, which you would think this doesn't have to be said, but don't hire a woman unless you're in an appearance based business like the media business or a cosmetic industry simply because she's young and attractive. um it can become a nightmare it often does unless you know there's another good reason of hiring her outside of just because she's young and attractive. Um, you hire the best person for the job unless there's some mandate or quota based on you have to hire a woman or you have to hire this race or color or sex or whatever. Um, you know, I think it's better to hire the best person for the job versus just because she's attractive, young and pretty. That'll get you in trouble more often times than not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, that that seems like one of the the more obvious mistakes. And it probably still happens happens. or you wouldn't have to touch on it in the book.
1: Yeah, it happens. Like a lot of this stuff that That seems obvious is in the book. There's a lot of complex, not so obvious issues, but it needs to be said because I think and especially as we're reentering the workplace, this is stuff that when we're working from home, like I'm not even physically with you right now, you know, so a lot of that stuff goes out the window. You don't even have to worry about until you're physically face to face with someone. And it's a whole new dynamic now um mm-hmm. going back you have to wear pants when you go back to work. i'm not saying you're
0: not
1: I, <laughs> I have on pants but they're not like the exact same suit color pants as my blazer right. <laughs>
0: so. right i'll 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 well and they do this on espn and i think they did this even on set uh, i'm wearing workout shorts so I'm, you know, I'm, I, I don't think i don't think there's anything inappropriate about it you can't see it on camera and it's comfortable and
1: your jacket does not cover up your your shorts, because if your jacket covers your shorts and you're in a Zoom meeting teleworking or telecommuting, when you get up and go to the restroom or something, (laughs) it looks like you're not wearing anything. So just make sure you're wearing shorts that the blazer is short enough that it doesn't cover up your shorts.
0: The key is turn the camera off, I guess. This is the new workplace. If you're eating or if you're getting up, just turn the camera off.
1: You think it's off, Nine times out of ten, and it's not; it's still running. (laughs) So yeah.
0: Um, So maybe one other question uh, for you, Heather: Um, Are there mistakes? We think you've talked a lot about when um, the man is the manager. When when that's reversed, Um, are there mistakes that men make when they are reporting to or working for a woman as the leader?
1: Yeah, there's um, chapter six, and it's called "Surviving and Thriving with a Female Boss," and. Sometimes I'm like, maybe I should have left that out because women aren't gonna like that. They're gonna think, well, what's so hard about working for me? But I'm trying, I mean, the book is for men. I'm, you know, the the target audience is men to protect the good guys. And some people, 13% of people surveyed preferred a female boss, actually. The majority, just over 50%, didn't care. But Mm -hmm. then Uh, there was a significant percentage of people that prefer to work for a man. I actually prefer to work for a man. Now, that's changing and shifting where most people don't really care. But um, that's why I included it, because the majority of people still do like to work for a man. But if you are working for a woman, um, I I think number one is that we do, and this is not 100% true and going to be for everyone across the board, but communicate differently. Um, men expect women to communicate the same way they do and vice versa, but that's just not the case. For example, and this can extend outside of the workplace, um, women like myself, when I'm talking and rambling on and on about something, usually it's because I just want to vent, you know, I'm not looking for a solution, but research and studies have shown time and time again, when men are talking, it's usually because. They're trying to solve their problem. They want to solve an issue and come up with a solution. It's not to vent. So if you work for a woman and she happens to be um, talking maybe more than you're used to working for a male boss, I would say just keep in mind, don't take it personal. Um, She may just be venting and not just looking for a solution. So don't put that burden on your shoulders. Um, I mentioned that.
0: And that, that can be good advice in relationships, not just in the workplace.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've said that to my husband many times, like, I'm just venting. I'm not asking for you to solve my my problem. I just want you to listen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Well, Heather, thank you so much for uh, being here with us today. Again, our guest has been Heather Zumaraga. Her book um, available now is The Man's Guide to Corporate Culture, um, it's going to uh, help coach men on how to be part of the solution um, in uh, getting out of an environment and putting in the past an environment where women are having to deal with bias and harassment in male-dominated workplaces. Um, we, we can figure out how to work work together, um, not just firing um, the egregious examples, but let's create, um, uh, I think, you know, a better, more respectful workplace culture for all. So, Heather, thank you for your contributions to that, and thank you uh, for being a guest with us today.
1: You You really help a lot of people. So I appreciate being here. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to Heather for being such a great guest today. Again, if you want to enter to win a free signed copy of her book, The Man's Guide to Corporate Culture, go to my website, markgraven.com slash mistake 52. In our next three episodes, we'll hear people talking about their favorite mistakes from sales and marketing from writing a book or not writing it. And we'll hear an anesthesiologist tell a story about a medical mistake he was exposed to during his training. Thanks for subscribing if you've already done so. Please rate and review us if you have the chance on your favorite app of choice. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, podcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.